Hi, and welcome back to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. We know you're busy, and we want to make it easy for you to understand how conflict may likely be showing up in a way that's impacting your team negatively. We've recorded the first three chapters of our book for you to listen to for free. Get your free audio sample at thriveinc.com forward slash free sample. That's T-H-R-I-B-E-I-N-C dot com forward slash F-R-E-E-S-A-M-P-L-E. Hi, this is Chris Marie Campbell. And I'm Susan Clark. And today we're going to talk to you about opt-out, how opting out of conflict actually undermines the team's performance when you're on a team. And let's be clear, we all opt out of conflict at times. Opting out is really just the way we cope with the buildup of tension that happens when, uh (laughs) uh-oh, you don't agree with me. And actually you have a whole different idea, which means, oh my gosh, I've got to change or you're going to put my idea down or all this angst comes up inside me. And we have learned ways to deal with that tension. Now we've learned these patterns of behavior, probably from our earliest days Yes, and how we coped with the tension that and experiences that we had when we were young. But we've also learned them over the years. Like in business, they've become fairly sophisticated. And a lot of times you've actually been re- rewarded heavily for your yeah. opt-out styles, believe it or not. I mean, I love the idea of you sh- we will probably share this, like your own style of being an accommodator. You're a great synthesizer of information because mm-hmm. you're so good at making sure you get everybody else's point of view, which yeah. is, however, that though it may be a superpower, is not actually always helpful for you in terms of how you show up and feel in conflict. Right. Tell me where I'm wrong. No, and let's, I guess I was going to say a little bit more about the intro piece, but let's jump into the accommodator because the accommodator is one type of opt-out style. And again, it's natural to want to find, to release ways to let off that steam of because it's so uncomfortable. But too often are the ways we choose of releasing that tension are reactive styles that actually prolong and exacerbate the conflict. And we may not even be aware of that. It's become an unconscious habit. So the accommodator, they're my, other people's who are accommodator, their superpower is people-pleasing, keeping the peace and- Work in the relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also instead of me noticing my internal tension and sharing what I really think, feel, and want, that actually, I'm not like trying not to share it. It actually disappears from my view. And I am focused on there's a threat out there and I've got to please that threat so that I can be safe. That's like the root of my psyche that's Mm -hmm. saying, if I can get this person to like me, or if I can get these two people to like me, then the threat will go away and we'll be all safe. So it's about harmony and people pleasing and the relationships. So as an accommodator, I'm often scanning and the slightest hint oh my gosh, somebody's upset. Even looking at Susan's face, it's like, I'm not saying the right thing. It's, oh my gosh, I've got to, that's a, that's something I've got to focus on and make sure you're liking me. And it's really, so accommodators, we fear disapproval. We fear anger, any sign of aggressive behavior. We think the path to safety is through people liking us. Now, Chris Marie's done a tremendous amount of work on herself, and she's quite willing to talk about the fact that she doesn't feel safe or historically there was a lot of stress. I 
in my experience in the business world, that's not the first thing <laughs> that an accommodator recognizes about themselves. No. But they, I think they have learned that, wow, if I can just get these people, like if I can go talk to this person about the problem, I can get them back to the table and to feel a little bit better. So I'm going to make them feel better. Then I'm going to go and talk to this other person, make them feel better. And that is actually, they believe that to be really helpful. Yeah. And what it what they don't recognize is by agreeing, because in making that person feel better, they're usually agreeing with their point of view. So they're agreeing with person A's point of view. Then they're agreeing, well, you're right, person B and per A and B don't aren't agreeing with each other. And when they come back together, the accommodator thinks, whoa, I've done such a great job. Look, they're back at the table. But more entrenched in their original position than ever because the accommodator's just been agreeing with them. Often, that can be the case. And I think in, in the end, the two that are distant still are very distant and they still seem like the problem people. And the accommodator's feeling pretty, still looks pretty good. But the piece the accommodator isn't realizing is you actually created more, you've added more tension to this problem. Yeah, and, by agreeing with each party offline, they support the arguing parties staying entrenched in their position, which just really fans the flame of conflict. And so another kind of behavioral pattern of accommodators is when there's tension in a team meeting, they'll be they want the tension to go away. So they'll be like, I'll do it. I'll take on the extra work, oh, okay. even though it's A's job to take on the extra work and or whoever. It would be make more sense. But they're like, let me discharge this tension because it's threatening to me in that way. And then the downside of that is later when they're back with the other people who said nothing, they might be very resentful of them. Or they're going to be resentful because they've got they're going to go to burnout because they're doing everything themselves. Right. Another sign of that, if you're an accommodator, you may or may not recognize is because it's too threatening to say things directly, even in the meeting. Let's say you've volunteered and then the meeting goes on and then you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to do all the work. So there's all these kind of passive aggressive tactics that come up like eye rolling, speaking under your breath or forgetting things because you're not really dealing with, you're really sacrificing yourself in the moment to keep the peace, that's going to come back and bite you sooner or later. And it really can be highly, one accommodator is always talking negatively about the other people on her team. But in the middle of a meeting, she would never say anything. She just says, well, I think we need to listen to each other. Or she's very vague and won't say I statements, won't give her opinion. And won't even say, I disagree with you, Ted. She's that, And that is, it's actually painful to witness how often she goes to that accommodator style and is, I think, not trying to be malicious. It's an automatic, self-protective, this is, and probably, I know from my own process of moving through this, but I can still do it. It feels like a compulsion. I have to please the boss or I have to please these two people. And so, I mean, so the accommodator is one, one of the opt-out styles that we've talked about. But going through all of, we wanted to go through the other two today as well, because we, in our process of doing the work we've been doing for our Get Rally scripts, we've talked about and it's coming. It's something that's we're working on. Have also been looking at how can we make these more accessible to people? Because I think it's really helpful when you can recognize that you're in an opt-out style, not making it wrong, just like 
oh, maybe this serves me to get one part of my job done, but it's not going to help you in a conflict situation or build trust and collab on a team. So the next one is a superstar. And the superstar's superpower is being the hero, meaning relying on their, they really want, they think the best choice is to take action. Action will solve the problem. This is how we'll fix it. Whether you folks agree or not, I'm going to go and do this. And then you'll have nothing to argue about because I will have already done it. And you're going to give me a whole round of applause. So they get impatient and frustrated when there's a lot of talking about something, but no doing. And they think doing is the end all be all. They do. And Yeah, that, and really it's that their own level of tension has gone up so high that if there's not some form of action, they are just, you can often see this, they're incredibly uncomfortable. Well, you can see even in a meeting as the conflict's happening, they're getting like fidgety, they'll get up, like, I've just got to do something. Let me take the flip chart. I've got to make something happen. They start to control in order to drive action. And what they're doing is they're ignoring other people and the relationship They're focused on themselves and what they think is the right course of action and solving the business, fixing business. Fixing a problem. Yeah. It's not always the right problem, let me be clear. (laughs) But something needs to be done. Yeah. (laughs) So they too are uncomfortable in conflict, but the way they seek their control is through action rather than keeping the peace as as an accommodator would. And when we talk about this in terms of they are willing to say what they think. They have an opinion. They will often say that they're frustrated and angry. So they are the people who, they have a strong me axis, meaning they will show up with their, now they don't really, the piece that's missing in that is that they're not talking about that they actually, how uncomfortable they feel, or maybe even how vulnerable they feel that no action is happening. But they are saying other aspects of their point of view, their opinion, the direction it needs to go. And so these are, the superstar can also be one of the styles. Actually, all of them have their ways in which they can be highly rewarded. Yeah. Because a lot of times leaders are like, I just love those go-to, those can-do people that are doing win. And it's like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, the problem is, so they have such a desire to move forward that they can often be seen as by their peers or other people as a bully or steamrolling or strong-arming their teammates, like monologuing just to go, like, we've got to get this done. They're not interested in kind of the combining of these different ideas. And what, unfortunately, what happens in the end, they come back and we've done this, and they have no buy-in from all these people that they think are going to give them a round of applause Mm -hmm. or little buy-in. And so that creates more churning and, okay, we've got to go back and fix this. And we, I mean, we've worked with teams where I was just thinking of where Superstar that's that go-to action orientation is so strong. It's just never going to go away. But I was thinking of a CEO we were recently with where when they can say that, like, I realize I have an incredible and I have been pushing. I, ju- I just want us to either burn or fail. And yeah. I and I'm, I don't think that's going to stop. And I also know it's not necessarily creating the culture, the situation I want. And that kind of vulnerability is a big shift, even though that person isn't necessarily, they're saying, I don't know that I can change, but I can at least try to own up when I'm doing it. I ask you for feedback when you see me doing it. And just like the accommodator who's not trying to forget their point of view, they're just automatically reacting. I've got to keep the peace here. The superstar really thinks, no, what's really going to solve this is taking action. So again, they're not being malicious 
And they're not in there bullying or driving over people. They really think they're doing the best thing. But under, again, the root is they're trying to create their sense of safety by taking action and fixing something because they can't, they're uncomfortable tolerating the tension of listening to these different points of view without anything happening. It's often, I often for myself, at least when I'm working with a team of people and there's a strong superstar there, it's if I change the task, like the thing you need to do right now more than anything else is to listen and be able to capture everything said by this person who's driving you nuts and reflect (laughs) it back in a succinct way. Now, sometimes that's really worked, like giving that person the action they need so that it's like, you, this is something you can do. Yeah. And I've been known sometimes to actually keep saying, I'm going (laughs) to, no, still not your time to talk. You're still listening. You're going to get a moment in a moment, but you can only say what some, repeat what somebody else had said. Yeah. So again, these can be highly rewarded individual contributor behaviors, the superstar getting stuff done, the accommodator going and talking. You often find accommodators in HR and because they're trying to, they're hearing from A and they're hearing from B and agreeing with both. We've actually found accommodators even as CEO. Yes, I know. Yeah. So, which is kind of, yes, anyway, <laughs> different issue. But the key is you're, these styles are going to keep happening for you. The idea is not to get rid of them. I think what you're saying, Susan, is when somebody can start to notice, oh, this is what's happening. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to bust out of here because I need something to happen. That's a really good way to not stay stuck there. As soon as you acknowledge it, there's a different shift in the energy. Yeah. And now this one, now we're going to go to the third one, the separator. And the separator, often when we're working with teams over the years, this has been the hardest one for people to recognize in themselves and to understand. I think this does bring up another point that's worth mentioning. Not everyone has a super style of opting out, like a superpower in their opting out. Some people just randomly go through all. These are- Oh, you. I think what you're saying is some people don't have just one. Yeah. Like you kind of learned early the accommodator style and it served you well in various workplaces. I mean, you also have, I think, a superstar style, but you have a strong Adam. That's your, that's her superpower. Myself, I flip-flop through these and none of them really particularly work well. (laughs) So (laughs) they didn't work well in my family to resolve stress. So, but I still adapt them to try to break the tension and do something. And so don't, you know, if you don't have a superpower in this area, that's okay. Meaning one (laughs) strong opt-out style, Yeah, but noticing where you can visit these different opt-out styles because people usually do. Right. And the last one is the separator. And the thing with the separator is they, we've been working on this one because again, it probably is the one that people most miss. And in my mind, the separator is almost numb themselves out. They're just sort of a walking head of brain (laughs) of great intellectual capacity, maybe, but lots of going on in their head, but they don't really register even the impact it's having on them nor on other people. They are uber-focused on the business. And I don't think people can't see what you're doing, Susan, but they don't register and she's running her hands in her chest. Like they don't register how they feel. Right, they don't at all. And they're like other people in the room. No, well, they have a hard time Um, with that. Yes, I know, not globally at all, but they don't usually register what they're feeling. Okay, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) And they also are not aware of what's happening in the room, or if they are aware of it, it's like, this is not something that I am going to deal with. And so they stay in that analysis place or 
data or let's keep just the facts, ma'am. I don't want anything else. Well, we were working with a team recently and we had one person who I think his style was a separator. So there was the leadership team and then the executive team. He was on the leadership team and he just kept going back to tell us what we're accountable for. So, and he kept diving into this point of, well, so if we're not, if we don't have the budget, we're not accountable for it. He kept trying to drive to certainty really so that he wouldn't be blamed is my hunch if something went wrong. And there was not a level of certainty that that he could get to. And he just kept staying stuck in that, trying to analyze it and put it in a box and describe it. So that would be what was happening in the room. And that can be a form of separation because you're really only looking at the analysis of it. It was like in one myopic view. Yeah, one my. This is the only thing I'm going to talk about. Let's go back to this. Or the other way it can show up is they will actually get involved in another prop, something else where there's data and support. So they're the one in the room who might still be on their computer while this whole thing is being discussed because it's like, why should I even get engaged in it right now? It's between those two and it's not relevant to me. And because they deem the interpersonal dynamics, any sort of feelings as unnecessary. And I'll pay attention when we get back to real work, when you two finish whatever that is. So they can come across as dismissive because they're staying very rational, super reasonable. And a lot of it is that maybe they just don't know how to, the thing they do know how to do is put numbers together, facts together, figures together, analyze it. But when it comes down to how do I relate? So there might be a lack of emotional intelligence or able to read that, but they're, or they're just kind of like, they really come to believe I cannot be helpful here. So I'm going to be helpful here. And they'll get focused on some other problem where they can solve it. And they, so they may appear indifferent, detached, even dismissive or cold, quiet, hard. And even if it's a big conflict, they'll just completely shut down and just not say anything or not respond to requests for teammates to have conversations. And they really believe they might even come across as sarcastic, changing the subject, ignoring the dynamics. And I was even thinking this one person in this meeting, he was also unaware of like the sensitivity between two people on either side of them were trying to have the conflict. And he just stayed physically right in the middle, not aware he was blocking the conversation there. Yeah. He wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. And often in a meeting, you might see this person or you, if you're this person, like, I'm just going to check my email. I'm going to go into my phone. I'm going to leave the room because I don't really need to be here. This isn't. This is not my. Yeah. Well, if you're in a team meeting where you're Remember, you may not have the expertise, but you're talking about a subject matter that is really important to your business or your area, and you just decide, oh, I don't have anything to offer here. There's a good chance when you make that statement, that is a form of going into separation. And you may actually think that it's, you're really like, well, but I have nothing to add. But if it's in conflict, you could be helpful. Because anybody on the sidelines, if there's two people or three, whatever, a subgroup having a conflictual situation, it's really helpful for somebody who's not engaged in those dynamics to say, wow, Mary, you keep saying, you said the same thing three times. And Ted, I don't think you're actually letting any of what Mary's saying in. Like you can offer some observation that supports them getting out of a loop. That's a way you can participate. But of course, if you're saying, well, I don't have anything to offer, you are completely opting out and leaving those people in their cycle. And what is key is, unfortunately, 
focusing on a solely rational or analyzing approach doesn't really get at usually the root of any problem because it's never just usually a numbers issue. If it's numbers, then people don't, you can look at the numbers, but usually people have a personal investment of what's happening and that's part of what's happening around the problem. So it really is important to recognize when you get yourself too stuck on just the content. So these each of these three opt-out styles are self-protective behaviors that were learned very young. Most of us are not conscious of them. And it's not uncommon for you to use one with maybe your boss, maybe you're an accommodator, maybe you're a superstar with your peers, but you separate at home. And we use these opt-out styles because conflict is so uncomfortable and it makes us feel vulnerable, but there is another way. So you can actually step into the discomfort in a way that gives you more power and influence. But the first thing is you have to really start recognizing how often you're using these opt-out styles. Okay, thanks. Hope you found this useful. Well, thanks for joining us. We hope you found today's episode valuable. If you want to take some of what you've learned on today's episode to the next level, check out our new step-by-step, easy-to-use team kit to get your team from avoiding conflict to discovering the beauty in conflict. Go to www.thriveinc.com forward slash team kit to learn more. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash T-E-A-M-K-I-T.